0: to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joan Nieves,
1: And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuyper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified.
0: Today is a huge episode. Sherry, you want to tell us a little bit about it?
1: Well, sure. I mean, we have not one, not two, not three, but four people. Six if you count the two of us. Yeah. On the show today, and I promise you, you will not be listening for an hour or anything crazy like that, but there's just been, there's a lot of great stuff coming up here um, in the month of March, and we just uh, really needed to get them all on here to talk to you. So we're talking to Lieutenant Colonel Alan Floyd today, the Deputy Garrison Commander of Transformation, hence my complaints about the traffic, and we're also talking to Lynn Nichols from the Military Affairs Committee from the Central Maryland Chamber Alabama no we're not talking to the state but a very funny dude who's going to be here performing on Fort Meade later this month and last but certainly not least Lou Leto from the Cryptologic Museum and his amazing Enigma machine
0: yeah which we had a we had a chance to play around with was a lot of fun you're going to see you probably already have seen the video we posted on Facebook but if you haven't go check it out It's really cool we sent an encrypted message to each other It's really neat so we're, we're glad to have them on the show Stick around, and it's going to be great. All right, so uh, this is going to be a little different th- from the way we normally do things because we have questions from the community, which is nice. Okay. I mean, kind of.
2: <laughs> no, it's always nice. Everywhere yeah. I go, I get, I get questions from, if they know who I am, mm-hmm. I get questions about the road networks and the, the infrastructure, so this is good, nothing new.
0: Yeah, but I mean as long as you're getting questions that that's important. That means people are, you know, they they're invested, you know.
2: They do and they know who I am. Uh listen, sometimes they have some good ideas that I have no they never even crossed my mind that that, that we talk about and try to incorporate if it makes sense. So
1: yeah, so we're going to post your picture online too, so they'll have your name and know what you look like, so you will not be able to hide as um, we know you like to do
0: sometimes.
2: Just listen, just about everybody around here has a big old bald head like mine, so it's hard to tell.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> it's a very true. common That's true. look. All right, so so let's get to it. Um, the first question we have is from Wayne Debbie Lipham, which I, I I want to assume is 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 a double account, like two people in one account. On Rockenbach, going through the gate and after going up and down the hill, there is a road barrier that is only one lane in the morning. This causes a traffic backup almost to the access gate. There is not that much traffic leaving Mead in the morning, and there are two lanes with barriers that are needed in the afternoon. How about moving the orange barrels to open up two lanes in the morning for upcoming traffic and one lane for exiting traffic?
2: it's a good question because that you know that is something that i had not considered before um it's a good idea i actually had a talk with uh i'm going to throw jason's name out lieutenant colonel jason taylor uh, who's the uh, director for the emergency services so he he handles the the guards and uh the cops and fire but I uh, had a talk with him this morning about the possibility of doing that what we have to do now is look at uh I think it's a good idea on the surface we have to look at the safety aspect of it you know if all of a sudden we start changing lanes and at random times during the day is somebody going to get confused so we got to run it through our safety we got to run it through manpower because somebody's going to move all those barrels every day and then uh and then actually look. At how it's going going to affect the traffic pattern. So I think it's a great idea. I think it's something we need to look at but uh, I can't say we're going to do it right now uh, but it's an idea and, and I welcome the idea so we'll look at, at what we can do.
0: it's oh, good. So I mean that's a question with with the possibilities. So Absolutely. That's, that's nice.
1: So uh, speaking of, of Rock and Bach Matt Gong's question was when will the construction be complete at the Rockenbach Gate, to which Charles White responded, not in our lifetime. <laughs> so sir, is there any truth to that?
2: <laughs> well, I guess it depends on how old you are and, uh, <laughs> and what your lifespan is. Uh, you know, if you're a mayfly, then, uh, yeah, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, there were there were a lot of problems with Rockenbach from the inception. I think it's been o- over a decade since we really started looking at that. But I got here almost two years ago, so it'll be two years in April uh, when I got here, and that was a big sticking point, Rockenbach. It still wasn't moving. It had stopped construction. They had uh, removed the contractor. Well, we got a contractor back on, and if you go out there now, you actually see things moving around. You see structures that are being built. Uh, You see uh, uh, dirt being moved around. Uh, We've actually just this week – worked with BGE to start moving utilities out of the way so they can further progress. We're still looking at probably summer 2021 before it's completed, but there's actual progress going on out there as opposed to what you may have seen the past eight years uh, where it was pretty much at a a dead stop. And listen, the the reason we need to do these things, I mean, it it has to be done uh, because none... With the exception of MAPES, which we'll get into here, I'm sure, soon. Yes, we will. Uh, With the exception of MAPES, the rest of our access control points are not up to the current criteria. They're at the criteria from when they were built, but we have to bring them up to current criteria for uh, force protection for safety. Uh, So it it has to be done. Uh, I know it's an inconvenience, but I look forward to summer of 2021 for that to be done.
3: Well,
1: sticking with gates then and since you already brought up mapes let's just <laughs> let's just address
2: the elephant in the room here what's up with mapes 175 so one of the most asked questions probably second only to rockenbach <laughs> uh, but everybody sees that mapes is finally i mean we're we're really really close to opening up mapes and it looks like it's ready right now uh, i actually have a meeting with uh, state highway administration uh, with the contractor working on 175 near Mapes and with uh, DES, Department of Emergency Services, to go out there on Thursday to look at uh, what is left to be done. Uh, SHA, State Highway, is the entity that's responsible for, getting, for bringing 175 into the gate, so finishing that portion. They just finished paving uh, last week, The end of last week, they just finished paving there. They have to put up a traffic sign, an extra traffic head up there, uh, for the additional traffic coming in, and they have to move the fence line in a little bit. Otherwise, we can't get the gate open all the way. Um, So, some minor things that still need to be done out there. Uh, So soon. I mean, that's all I can say. I'd say, you know, if I had to hazard a guess, within the next month, month and a half, uh, if. If everything stays on schedule, days like today where the weather's bad, they can't work on it, so that pushes it off. So if you have bad weather, kind of pushes things. Uh, But we're coming real close. Uh, So, yeah, I'd say about the next month, month and a half, we'll get that open now. I can go into... I was
1: going to say, and with that comes yeah, some other so things. That, let's just talk about what people should be aware of. We don't have to go into the nitty-gritty because we all know plans will change by then. But what are some other things people need to be aware of when Mapes finally opens?
2: Sure. So, so when Mapes opens, it's a, it's a real nice gate. If you haven't seen it, I, I encourage nice. you to drive, very nice. drive by yeah. it. so nice. Uh, but there's numerous extra lanes on there. Um, you know, there's a big serpentine, so a lot... A lot bigger queuing area. So that will become our new 24-hour gate. That's the one that's going to be 24 hours, which is so Reese, the Reese gate will go on a limited hour schedule. It will no longer be the 24-hour gate. And when I say limited hour, it's going to be open during peak times. We're not shutting it down peak times. And uh, depending on manning, it's going to be those peak times – there'll the probably be an hour about an hour cushion on either side so mm-hmm. it'll be slow when, when it's open and it'll pick up uh the gate that will shut down because of mapes opening is llewellyn Boo. Uh, but <laughs> llewellyn i mean it's it's limited capacity right so by opening mapes we've increased our capacity even with showing shutting down llewellyn uh, and remember, it's, just M- the,
1: it's just the one that i take and it's
0: right yeah, by it's my work so
2: convenient for some
1: yeah it's convenient but mapes is
2: right next to dunkin donuts
1: i know that's a problem though i don't want to be going <laughs> to dunkin E-O. donuts every day
0: <laughs> don't need any
2: more they uh...
1: used to do that when it was mapes i had to go through so <sighs> i'm not looking forward to that
2: but. no so it, so there, there's still some things that need to be done but there will be changes and we'll put those out through pao through y'all um mm-hmm at least a week before we make that switch. Uh, we want to make sure everything's locked in. We'll, we'll get out a public announcement, let everybody know what the hours are going to be on each gate, and, and
1: then open that up. So you'll find information through the sound off
0: and through what social media. Yeah, we'll put it up on social, and uh, we'll change it on the public website when the time comes. Yeah, we'll make sure that... we the app. Yeah, and, and on the app. So. so tune into the app as well. That's a good source of information there. Um, so we got another one from Lori Short. There needs to be a no left turn from Rose Street onto Reese during the busy time of the day. What do you think?
2: It's something that's been discussed in the past before, and, and we are looking at that. As a matter of fact, I mean, I was going to talk Cooper Ave later on, but I'm going to I'm going to punch into Cooper sure. Ave right now. Sure. So we're working, as I mentioned, we're trying to get all our access control points up to standard. Um, What's missing there is, okay, we get everything coming off of 175 and 32 fixed, and we widen those roads, and then we get to the interior roads, and everything just bottlenecks. So one of the projects that we have slated to do sometime in the future, uh, when we get the funding for it, but the planning is going on now, is a Cooper Ave expansion. And that does not just include Cooper Ave. That in- includes Rose as well. Mm. Mm. Uh, and also looking at another entrance possibly to the PX into AFES so we can get rid of that left turn so we can stop people making that left turn out of Rose. Because I get it. People stack up behind that one person trying yeah. to make the left turn. Uh, and you got five, six, seven cars trying to make a right turn out of there that could have made it 500 times, but they're waiting on the left. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say that sometimes it comes down to driver courtesy as well, right? If, yes. If the road, and this is anywhere, I mean, you see it anywhere. I'm, I live down in Tennessee, I see the same things. But if you're going slow out the gate, leave a gap where the roads are, leave a gap where the driveways are. Until you, until you can move forward. I mean, uh, driver courtesy. If we're courteous, things will move a lot quicker. Yeah. And let
1: somebody out. Let somebody make that left turn. I mean, we we can't only take right turns, like Zoolander, or was he left turns? Right, <laughs> Zoolander. I can only make right turns. But, but but I and I do see that a lot. But mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. If we keep that up and just be mindful, two extra seconds isn't gonna is gonna make you any later? So.
2: And remember, if you're coming out of there, you could always go the other way. Mapes, all the way up to the gate, that new road is open, too, all the way up to Ernie Pyle. So that's another way to come out. I don't think everybody's caught on to that yet because we really haven't advertised that too much uh, because we're waiting for the gate to open. But we did open this section of road along Mapes up to Ernie Pyle that was closed for for the longest time. That also looks very, very nice. Yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, they're doing a good job out there. Sometimes it takes time. I mean, one of my uh, one of my sayings when I talk out to to the public is sometimes it's a uh, short term pain for long term gain. You know, now sometimes short term is relative, uh, but in order to make things better, sometimes you, you got to go through the the growing pains, and, and it's mm-hmm. worse for a little while before it gets better.
1: So, can you talk anything about the roads off post too? Because that's that's a little bit you know right there especially on 175 they're doing a lot of work out there as well
2: so yeah so uh chad jones your boss thank you uh has gotten me in touch with a lot of transportation committees off the installation i mean with the county um you know with uh with the state highway so actually one of the the series of meetings that i'm going to now with, with the county is to look at the road networks not just around the installation but uh Around the region, uh, and what needs to be improved. Uh, of course, my input there is all about it around the installation. So they're working on 175 now. Uh, they have they have a little bit of money to do planning on 198, but they're in the in the same in the same boat that we are when it comes to funding. Okay, uh, they have to wait for funding to come through. I think their next round of funding for state highway for the county is in 22 so this meeting series that i'm going to right now it's a series of eight meetings is to evaluate the roads the quality and the capacity of the roads so are, th- are they bad roads and are they is there too much traffic on them and then prioritizing which roads need to be expanded first now, now my concern here is 295 you know mm-hmm. 295 is always an issue uh 198 170. Uh, those roads are the ones that that I'm looking at, that I'm plugging for. Now I can only plug so much, being a, a service member in you know, a government entity. Uh, I can just tell them what our issues are, right? Um, and hopefully they prioritize it. And we and they do. They understand the economic impact that Fort Meade has in the community. And you know, we got 45,000 workers coming in and out of that gate every day.
1: That's what I was just going to say. Is That's the big thing. People are always shocked when we give a lot of tours around here. And when I say, yeah, we got 57,000 employees and 45,000 who come in every day to work or use services or whatever, it boggles a lot of minds. And it's like, well, just join us at 730 to 830 on 32 or... 175 and you'll meet them all you'll see it it,
2: it is and you know and one of the questions says well why don't you guys stagger the 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 work time so people coming in and, well and you have 119 different tenants on the installation yep. who are, are all doing you know some of them are doing their, their wartime jobs out there you're kind of locked into to what you got we we i know the tenants staggered as much as they can but there's only so much you can do uh, you know, you liken it to be uh, the tenants or the the companies working in a town. We we can't dictate what they do, uh, but they see the issues too, and they do what they can. And
1: and, and they are, and a lot of mm-hmm. them are teleworking and doing doing those things when they can. Uh, but I also think too that us as drivers can take on a little bit of the responsibility. And I'm I'm calling myself out here because I need to look in this. But I know in my communities there's probably dozens of people who work here on the fort somewhere Mm -hmm. is perhaps maybe we should start carpooling. It's very old fashioned and all those things, what have you, but it also gets a lot of cars off the road. And just think if, if a nice portion of folks carpooled to the fort every day, you know, if you work in the same building, you know, or if you even just know other people who work here on the fort and you can drop them off on the way, I think that's something that, that folks, Definitely should look into, and I also attend some of these community meetings where transportation's a big topic, and just the personal responsibility mm-hmm. that we have to also help get some of these cars off the road.
2: Well, listen, and I'll put this plug in, too. We got the Croft and connector on the installation, right? Yep. So they stop at five places on the installation. Most of the tenants are within walking distance of one of those stops. So you can take the mark... Into and take and then jump on the Croft and connector and it'll shuttle you right onto the installation. Uh, So, so there's ways to do it, Uh, and it is difficult, especially folks, old folks like me who like to have control of their car. Yes. But I think you will see a shift soon as we get younger people coming into the workforce. Absolutely. Uh, They're they're more multimodal than we are. Uh,
1: That's true, and they don't like to drive as much. So.
2: Which goes into another. They'll be
1: very happy for that car. Point. Yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, heck, my daughter's 22. She still don't have a driver's license, right? She she doesn't 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 want to do it. But that we're seeing that that's yep. it's a generational thing. Yeah. Uh, that they don't want to drive if they don't have to. Um. So we're we're looking in in other areas for transportation. I know uh, Colonel Sprague has directed me to look at driverless shuttles. And they're actually doing a, uh, a pilot down at Meyer Henderson Hall down, mm. down in DC on, uh, driverless shuttles. You know, we don't, we're going to see what happens with, with that. It's a, it's a 90 day pilot. Uh, but they're perfect for it because their, their speed limits are a lot slower. Right now it's a, it's a 25 mile an hour speed limit, mm. I think for, for those pilotless cars. And, uh. The, the inclines and declines, you know, the hills are a lot smaller on Meyer Henderson Hall. But it's something we have an eye on. I mean, we're not ignoring those things. And listen, when I go to some of these meetings, we talk about uh, bike share, too. So I think yes. that's that's yeah. a good one, especially with the good weather coming up. It's something else that we need to start looking at a little harder is uh, the bike share program or the scooter share. You know, like A lot of people did scooters, too.
0: Well, sir, um, do you have anything else you'd like to ask?
2: Yeah, no, I I think I've hit most of the stuff I want. Yeah. Um, You know, we're we're constantly transforming around here, hence my title, transformation, Mm -hmm. right? Things are constantly changing. Uh, We're trying to look towards the future, and not just what's best for now, but what we need to do in the future, hence the the driverless cars, hence... uh, uh, the bike share and things like those. And we're continuously growing. So when I say 45,000 coming in and out of the that gate today, in two, three years, that could be 55,000, 65,000 yeah. coming in. There, there's no stop of uh, people who want to come to Fort Meade. So I say bear with us. We have more projects that uh, we have in the out years that we're looking at to improve the road networks around here. Uh, they're going to be working on it long after I'm gone. You're probably looking over the next decade, still working on the road networks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it it will get better. If you
0: if you notice, we only had a uh, we had a short amount of questions this time around. Uh, we put a call out to the community to to give us your questions. So this time around, we're going to do the same thing again. We're going to ask you if you have questions going into the future. Please let us know. Throw it up on our social media, and uh, we're gonna have Colonel Floyd back on the show hopefully soon. Yeah, yeah I love this. <laughs> you, you should see his <laughs> face, folks. Um, yeah, but, he doesn't know about that yet. <laughs> but um, and if not, we can answer it directly on our social media too. Um, we'll we'll try to get back to you as quickly as possible. But uh, if you have questions, please let us know. That's what we're here for.
1: So today we're talking to the Central Maryland Chamber of Commerce, uh, specifically the Military Affairs Committee. And we'll get that to the Military Affairs Committee in a, little, in a second. But what I really want you to know is what the Central Maryland Chamber of Commerce is. So for those of us who live and work on Fort Meade, when we go out to lunch in Odenton or we go shopping in the, the region and where we're spending our money, those businesses, that's what makes up the Central Maryland Chamber and part of that chamber is the Military Affairs Committee which we have the chair of the committee Lynn Nichols with us today and Lynn I just wanted to to talk to you a little bit about what the
4: Military Affairs Committee does. Okay well our mission is to serve the military personnel and the families on Fort Meade and that comes in a lot of different ways. Uh, We're this is our 12th year in existence. We provide we do a tailgate party for the army navy flag football game we're always at the community council meeting with a bake sale you know we've been at just about every change of command change of station Um, and you know we get caught on to do different things like on september 11th we were at the run serving bagels upon bagels and all kinds of nice stuff so that's our mission is to be here
1: and you also do other things too. So you do the backpack drive for the schools, which is very important every year. You also do a lot of work with the USO on post as well, correct? Correct. And aside from those great things, you also do really fun things like bring comedy acts
4: to the post, right? So well, well, yeah. This is uh, a venture for us. It's um, you know we've talked to MWR for a little while. And we wanted to get a good comedy show. And we got some fantastic, awesome comedians. One is here with us today, which is they're all just, like, so funny. And, you know, when I called to my committee and the way we came about was like, hey, let's sponsor this stuff and let's do individual sponsors. And, you know, my committee is such, like, a great, awesome bunch of people that we raised $4,500 to help sponsor this show, and they didn't take one second like not say no or anything, everybody was right in. Joe, I don't know about you, but I like a good comedy show.
0: Oh yeah. I mean who doesn't like to laugh? That's right. Yeah. So
1: so real quick before we get to our guest comedian who is here with us today, Saturday, March 28th at 8 PM Club Mead. I'll say it again, Saturday, March 28th, 8 PM Club Mead. Uh there's gonna be a finger food buffet you can partake in, doors open at 6 30. Patrons must be 18 to attend. It's because you comedians are a little dirty sometimes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that is what it says. Performance may contain adult content and language. All right. So, but for those of us who are over 18,
0: uh, it's going to be a great time. So what do you say, Joe? Joe? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be a great show. Uh, we have with us today, Alabama.
3: Yes, yes, and yes.
0: Thank you for being here with us. I
3: am. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Sherry. And I want to thank Lynn also uh, for putting me on the show. Uh, Lynn surprised me the other day. I did a show, and she introduced herself after my show. But the first thing in my head was like, oh, man, I'm about to get kicked off this show. (laughs) But I made it here, so I must have been good. So I look forward to it. Uh, It's going to be a great show, March the 28th at Club Mead, 8 p.m. 18 older, it's not going to be that dirty. But I make sure I shower a little bit before I start and uh, get to work with some great comics, comedy icon Chris Thomas and uh, Tony Woods going to be there and uh, we're going to have a great time. I look forward to it.
0: Yeah, so, uh, so do you perform, uh, have you performed on many bases before? Is this your first I,
3: time? I have. I actually have performed on this base before when I first started. I'm going to say like 2004. Very good. Cool. Yeah, so it's good to be come back, and everybody need a laugh. Everybody so he, need oh a yeah. laugh.
1: So what I heard, Joe, was he started his career
0: here at Fort Meade. <laughs>
3: what, what that? uh, that's, that's what I heard. So, uh, sort of. I you know, can say I'm that. Fort,
0: cool. Fort Meade launched. You know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they pay me in commissary food. That's <laughs> <laughs> say go to the p x that's the way you there
0: go there you go yeah, well, we're glad to have you, and uh I'm gonna try to attend that show please uh everybody else try to get out there. We put these things on for you for for you, you know what I mean so uh yeah thanks for thanks for being here and, oh, thank so, you do you. you got you got a funny story not not a joke because I ain't gonna try to give you <laughs> to get up the material now, but um anything about last time you were here or
3: well, I'll tell you something about me. I'm from Alabama, yeah. and I moved to Baltimore no City. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, I knew Baltimore was different when I went there, and I seen steps with no house behind it. Mm-hmm. It was just steps with no <laughs> house behind it. I said, they taking people houses here. So uh, that was a little different for me. But yeah, well, I look that. forward to coming to Club Me. We're we'll going to have a great time. We're going to enjoy ourselves. Come to Laugh. Come to Laugh
0: awesome awesome all right and uh don't forget folks you can head over to fort meet to the fort website to find other great events happening in the community uh it's home.army.mil forward slash mead and uh simply click on the community calendar on the right hand side and you'll find uh you know this this event and many others so uh check us out Um, I'm excited because on the table we have something called an Enigma machine, which is pretty awesome. It was used to send and also to break codes, or was it just to break codes?
5: Uh, this machine was the tactical military tactical encryption machine for the German Army, Navy, and Air Force during World War II and also preceding World War II. And um, it did not send or receive messages. It's simply encrypted and decrypted. Yeah, messages were sent by usually by radio.
0: Okay. And so, uh, and so we have one on the table here, which is really awesome. Uh, Sherry and I sent some messages back and forth. Um, it's really cool. Well, not send messages back and forth. We crypt- encrypted and decrypted messages.
1: <laughs> That's sending messages back and forth. Well, right? kind yeah. of.
0: Yeah, it's not like the the invisible ink, visible ink thing, but it's really cool. It's way um, cooler. We're gonna play a. L- we're gonna play with it a little bit more before he has to. Before Lou takes it away from us, or, or you know, because you know, heaven forbid we break it. <laughs> yes,
1: because uh, I think it's really important to to say. And Lou, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is an actual working World War II. Enigma machine. This is not a reproduction. This is the real deal. Uh, This is what was used during wartime. And so yeah, I think we will have our heads if we break it. And that's not going to happen. um, But this is an amazing piece of history right
5: here. That's right. The guillotine is waiting outside in case. (laughs) But yes, this is actually an operating World War Two Enigma machine It's probably 75 to 80 years old. And uh, we have two of them on display at the museum for people, anyone to come in. Um, You don't need any kind of credentials to come to the museum. It's not inside the fence line at NSA. So anyone from the public can come in. That's why we call ourselves the only truly public museum in the intelligence community. And people come in, and they can encrypt and decrypt their own messages on these machines and have that memory. Uh, We don't know any other museum, public museum in the world that. Allows you that opportunity.
1: That's and awesome. Luke, tell us real quick too exactly where is the museum? Because I think um, you know people see the fort and they get—I don't even know—they get confused or scared that they don't want to go into an NSA gate. So how exactly do people access the museum from? I think off Route Thirty Two, right?
5: Yes, off uh, Route Thirty Two. Everybody, get your pencils out and uh, and write down this address. It's on our, uh, our web page. Which is at the National Cryptologic Museum (NSA.gov) webpage under About Us, and then uh, and then uh, Cryptologic Heritage, and then Choosing uh, Cryptologic Museum. Um, but it's in our it's, it is on our webpage. Um, the GPS address is 8290 Colony Seven Road, Annapolis Junction, Maryland, and simply get off Exit 10A. Off of Route 32, east or west, uh, bear left, and the very first light you come to, you're going to make a left. That is Colony 7 Road, and the road will end right at the museum.
0: How's that that for something being declassified? He just gave you everything you needed to know to get there. It was never classified. (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) Joe, have you ever been over to the museum?
0: I am ashamed to say I have not. I was going to say, don't lie. No. Uh, and that wasn't to <laughs> set know. you up, but
1: yes, they probably do know. Uh, but you need to go because I've had the pleasure of hanging out with some tour groups that I've brought over to the museum. And Lou has, you know, in addition to being the public affairs office-er over there, <laughs> you, you also guide tours. And... I would love to uh, have you talk a little bit about some of the other things that the museum does. Yeah,
5: Well, for, that's a good point. Let me, let me first mention something about the tours. Um, tours are mostly given by our uh, docents, and the docents are retired NSA employees.
0: Oh, so wow. they can oh. provide
5: a unique perspective on those artifacts and people that you're hearing about during the tour. All of your and, docents?
1: Pardon me? All of the docents are, are All of the docents,
5: uh, yes, are either... Uh, Retired or current? Oh, um, uh, I didn't know That's that. pretty cool. Current, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, and and, um, and so um, yeah, so just because you get a, a tour from one docent, you go to another docent, maybe you come back in a couple months for for the same tour, and you might get little twists and different uh, information. Uh, that you didn't get before because we all do our, uh, you know, our own research in addition to what uh, our docent manual tells us uh, about each, each event there or each uh, display. So, you know, you get a, something a little different taste uh, every time you come by. That's but cool. staff also gives tours. And uh, but mainly uh, we rely on our docents who are a huge, huge uh, asset to the museum.
1: It's amazing to me, I don't know about you, Joe, but this is is a mile away from us right now, all of this stuff. And it's such unique history, too. You're not really going to see this anywhere else, right? I mean, it's fairly safe to say that...
5: Ours ours is a very unique museum, and one reason is because of the docents, but another reason is because it's a different part of U.S. history and world history that you seldom ever hear about. Right. And why should you? Because most of this work was always done behind the veil. Sure. And and, uh, what does that mean is the work done behind the veil um, means that if it had not been done done behind the veil, like we talked about the uh, cryptanalytic bomb and things like that, that saved countless lives. We're talking millions of lives, just that one piece of equipment.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, be-
5: because of that, uh, the course of history was changed.
1: That's incredible. And this, and this museum, too, I want to say, and I, th- I think it's also very kid-friendly,
5: Oh, yes. We have lots of kid programs. Um, We have scout programs and kids programs. Um, Jen Wilcox, who's our education coordinator, uh, develops all these programs, and um, she's done amazing work. Uh, We have scavenger hunts, and we have uh, crypto kid challenge that kids can come in every day and go through the museum and uh, do puzzles and Work on the Enigma machine and and all sorts of things. And when they get when they're done, they can get prizes and and uh, and, and they have fun and, and learn by doing something. We have special events like Pi Day when we, on March 14th we celebrate Pi 3.14. Is there uh, like we have pizza programs. pies
0: and pies available?
5: Yeah, all that kind of stuff. <laughs>
0: so delicious and educational.
5: Uh, delicious <laughs> and educational. I don't know if they're giving out food yet, so don't, don't <laughs> quote me on that. But uh, we have programs like that. We have a STEM night every year. It's a very large program. One year we got like, uh, I think, like 500 kids uh, wow. in that little wow. museum. Don't tell the fire department that. And, <laughs> and uh, I just did, I think. Um, and so uh, they learn something and have fun doing it. There are a lot of hands on projects. But we have hands on activities in the museum itself. We have uh, kiosks around the museum. We have like invisible ink and, and other uh, uh, replica devices that kids could. And anybody can try out and see uh, get an idea of of how these systems worked.
0: That's great.
1: Well, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but I want to bring this up since we're talking about breaking codes and the Enigma machine. I'm a little disappointed in our friends around Fort Meade here. Why is that? Well, Joe, because we worked really hard, the garrison did, and put out a new logo. Yeah. About what? Probably about a year ago by now. Yeah, just about. And on that logo, Lou, there is a... There's a code. There's a code.
0: There's a hidden code. And
1: nobody has reached out and said that they have broken it yet. Yeah. So my challenge, to ease my disappointment, is I want to know if somebody out there can break the code. I know somebody out there can break the code.
0: Oh, somebody out there can break that code. So
1: I'm talking about the new Fort Meade logo that you've probably seen around uh the old one had uh, on all
0: our social media
1: right exactly the old one had george Mead on it the new one is very modern paying homage to a lot of the cyber and cryptology that we have here on the fort and that's all i'm going to tell you joe knows how to find the logo it's out there um and and the message is on it and i would love 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 for somebody to to tell me what it says
0: yeah I mean, it's, it's unique, so if you can figure it out and you let us know, who knows? I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and I, uh, I had to say, I know NSA uh, does put out uh, codes and things like that uh, for people to break through their social media and stuff, but I would love to see, um, to see ours get broken and, and to hear what people think about our code. Yeah, and
5: if, they, if it does get broken, you can bring them to the museum for a free tour. Hey! There you, you, you go. Heard it here first, folks. So,
1: and and Lou is a great tour guide. Um, as are all the docents up there. I've heard a few different folks uh, give tours up there, and uh, they're all incredible. And I walk away with like my mind blown almost every time. Yeah. And um, my favorite's the Revolutionary War stuff, uh, but and the and the Navajo code talkers. Oh yeah, Marine Corps. Yes. So.
0: So. Um, I I know that I, I haven't been to the museum, but that's going to change, especially now, because um, uh, I'm big on World War II history. Um, I spent a lot of time in Germany. My wife is German. So I'm fascinated by the culture and the history of World War II. I visited a lot of the sites. Um, but this episode is going to air in March. And March is Women's Women's History, History Month, Month. Mm-hmm.
5: and are you guys doing anything? Absolutely. Uh, we're actually having two events just for Women's History Month, and one event um, is uh, going to be a panel discussion on March 19th, and it's uh, called Queens of Code, and um, uh, it, it, the Queens of Code are women, who worked at NSA and are retired now, and they worked at NSA in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Oh, wow. So, and, um, so they were there at, kind of at the beginning? Well, no, no. The, the uh, agency was established in 1952. Oh, okay. Um, so 60s is pretty close to but the uh, beginning. They were, but,
0: in, they were there during uh, important periods they, of they time. Were, yeah.
5: they, they were very important. They, they contributed highly to the mission yeah, and in the, uh, fast developing computer world, you know, uh, and how technology was developing. And so, uh, they have, uh, stories that have been declassified that they are, uh, allowed to share with the public. And, and that's just what this, uh, that's what this event is going to be about. It's on March 19th from one to two thirty. And um, and they'll have q and A Q&A after it, but they talk about the work that they did and some of the stories they have that they are allowed to share and how they impacted the mission um, in um, uh, breaking codes and 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 and, uh, and making codes. And another event we're having just a week later um, on. Um, uh, it's uh, going to be given by Jen Wilcox. I mentioned her a few minutes ago, and uh, she, um, our education coordinator, she does a talk on uh, creating the legacy: women in cryptology. So she's going to give a talk on uh, the history of women in cryptology, and uh, the role they played, and um, and uh, you know how they've impacted the profession. And some of those women, uh, a couple of my favorites is uh, Genevieve Grochon, is one of them. And Genevieve, you'd hear about in the uh, story about the, the, the Japanese problem yeah. during World War II. Yeah. And so she broke a very, very difficult Japanese uh, diplomatic code where no one else could do it. She was a young woman who graduated from uh, uh, the University of Buffalo and in the 30s and she wanted to be a math teacher couldn't find a job so she took government tests and they hired her so she was hired (laughs) the army signals intelligence service and uh, she was working on the team uh that was going to trying to break this what they call purple code all the japanese systems uh the cryptanalysts at sis uh named the math are different colors of the rainbow Mm -hmm. you know because they're always changing and um This purple problem was something like they had never seen, and for about 18 months or so, they were just trying to find these patterns in these Japanese systems so they can break the code and figure out what the Japanese are planning, because quite frankly, our relations with the Japanese was uh, deteriorating during those years, and one day, she had a remarkable memory, and so one day, she has all these papers spread out in front of her desk, and she's looking for patterns and she thinks she remembers seeing a pattern days ago or something so she goes and rummages through paper and finds it brings it back to her table and she has it so she rushes into her boss's office in a closed door meeting she's so excited and she opens the door and says I found it I found it and he says okay (laughs) so uh Frank Rowlett runs to her desk with everybody else and they crowd around her desk and she shows them, and he says Jenny you got it he brings everybody together Shows them what to look for, buys them all a Coke, and tells them, now get to work. So now they know <laughs> what to look for, and, and, and they break Japanese purple. Um, Elizabeth Friedman is another one she'll talk about. Elizabeth Friedman um, is uh, the wife of uh, William Friedman, who is the first head of uh, the Army Signals Intelligence Service. He becomes the father of modern American cryptology. I call Elizabeth the mother of American military, uh, American uh, uh, cryptology, because she really got. Um, William into the field of cryptology. She worked at uh, a Riverbank, which was a think tank outside of Chicago, and her job was to figure out, um, to prove that William Shakespeare wrote his own works and they were not ghostwritten by uh, oh, Sir Thomas Bacon. And she proved it mathematically.
0: Interesting.
5: Uh, she, working with William, proved it mathematically. But her claim, her her big uh, uh, contributions, uh, one of her big contributions was working with the Coast Guard. And she broke over 12,000 messages or codes um, by uh, smugglers and people like that and brought wow. them to justice as a subject matter expert in court. That's um, fantastic. Yeah, so she, she was a remarkable... Remarkable, remarkable person, and uh, she'll also talk about. You know, we're here at Fort Meade, and Fort Meade uh, was named after General from the Civil War, Gen- mm-hmm. uh, General Meade. And there was two women uh, uh, who played a big, who played a role during the Civil War. One from the North, one from the South, so everybody's happy, no matter what side of the Mason-Dixon line you're from. And so Rose Greenhow was one of these women, and uh, she was a Washington socialite, and she was really a Confederate spy. And so she held all these parties, and if you were anybody, you wanted to be invited to this party. Well, you know, she would use her feminine charm and uh, whisper in these Union officers' ears, and whatever she found and heard, she made sure that the Southern leadership... Got that information, um, and through encryptions and all sorts of things that she used uh, to get that information south. Um, on the on the other side, you had a woman named Elizabeth Elizabeth Van Lu and she worked out of Richmond, and she came up with all sorts of ways to confer with British. or oh, I'm sorry, British. What am I saying? With uh, <laughs> Union prisoners in Richmond, and um, she did things like um, she she was allowed to give books to the prisoners to read. And then they would give the books back to her, and, and they would exchange books. Looks like a very innocent book exchange, but they would circle words throughout the book to make messages and things like that. Yeah. So, and she she used other methods as well, but. Um, uh, so these are two, you know, for the women that Jen will probably mention in her talk, and I talked a lot about that. Now, but women have contributed a whole lot to the field, and really, uh, they hadn't gotten the notoriety or, or the, the um, uh, you know the credit that's due to them.
1: Any book recommendations on some of these amazing women?
5: Liza Mundy recently uh, purchased a, uh, published a book called uh, Code Girls, Mm. and it's a very, very popular book. It's a big hit, and um, talks about women in cryptology, and uh, she's actually a uh, resident scholar right now at the agency. That's
0: fantastic. Amazing. Yeah, that's pretty
5: amazing. Um, so we we have um, events coming up uh, at the museum. I mentioned a couple of them on women on March nineteenth. Yes. Uh, by the time this comes out, unfortunately, um, one on African Americans called "Invisible Cryptologists," um, happening on uh, which happened on February twenty eighth. But just to give you just the flavor of the kinds of events that we have going on now. Armed Forces Day on uh, May 16th this year. It's always a huge event uh, that we honor the uh, men and women serving in our armed forces and also police. Uh, So it's called the Armed Forces and National Police Celebration. Um, We get about 1,600 people to come. We're going to have music, uh, live music, not live music, but we're going to have DJ music, uh, food, and... Tons of, uh, uh, of display tables and hands-on activities for people, loads of fun for families and so forth. Very popular event. Um, why do we do this? Because only 1% of our people in this country have served in the military. Yeah. 79% serve because someone in their family served. Right. So there's a huge gap between civilians and military cultures, and we want to bridge that gap. We want to let people know that these men and women are out there doing what they do so you the rest of us can live our lives the way we live them yeah and they deserve a pat in the back they deserve a hug they deserve all our thanks uh because they really put their lives and their families on the line uh mm. doing their jobs for us and they should be recognized for that and police they you know they they put their lives on the line every day uh yeah. going out there to protect us here on, on our streets and and in, in our highways so we Absolutely. we hold that event every year and it's probably one of the biggest such events uh or armed forces and police yeah. held i don't know if in the country but i know our general nakasoni said he's never seen anything as big as the one we we put on That's at, fantastic. at our event so yeah. it's on may 16th
1: wonderful and so just to to recap then too to find uh listening to these events you can find the National uh, Cryptologic Museum, excuse me, through our Garrison Facebook page. But they also, you also have your own Facebook page. So just go to Facebook and look for National Cryptologic Museum. And you can also go to the NSA.gov website, look um, through the About section, the Cryptologic Heritage, and then you'll find a link to the museum there as well. And that way you can attend not only the amazing events for Women's History Month and uh, Women in Cryptology, but also the incredible events that the museum hosts throughout the gear, most of which are free.
5: They're, everything in the museum is free,
1: so you cannot beat that. And uh, thank you, Lou, for joining us today. Yeah, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the museum.
0: Great, look forward to having you. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as iTunes. We're also on Dividtub.net. If you search uh, Fort Meade Declassified. And if you need any information on COVID-19, we have stuff on our public website now at home.army.mil slash meade, M-E-A-D-E. We have a picture up at the top uh, about COVID-19 information. It's got information from the CDC, DHA, WHO. Uh, We've tried to compile it all in one place for you. Um, But they're recommending that if you have any symptoms, if you are a beneficiary, please contact the nurse advice line at 1-800-874-2273. If you are not a TRICARE beneficiary, uh, make sure you contact your primary care provider. They're suggesting not to go in to see anybody until you've talked to somebody first, just to prevent other people from being infected in case you are uh in case you do have symptoms so just remember if you have any questions you can check out on our public website and uh call anybody if you need to and remember if it's an emergency contact 911